Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're reflecting on our trip to New York to NRF, the National Retail Federation show. And I'm joined by Sue, who accompanied me on the trip. Hi, Sue. Hi. Do you want to give the listeners a bit of background in terms of what NRF is, kind of give them a sense of size, scale, types of organisations were there for those that haven't been? I think if you haven't been, it's hard to understand kind of just how huge the show is. It's As you said, it's organised by the American National Retail Federation, and I think it's one of the biggest um, sort of shows, exhibitions that there are in relating to retail globally. And I don't know how many people there. There must have been thousands. I mean, it's huge. It's across two enormous halls with another two or three extra bits. It's a mix of stands and exhibitions. There's also a whole series of um, different presentations and um, various sessions and things that, that retailers can attend that we didn't have access to. So there's just a huge event around it, along with a load of networking and a lot of businesses also organise events around it. So because people are in New York, so there's just a whole load of retailers right across the globe, spread across thousands of feet in an in exhibition hall. So it's a huge event. And now we're back in, ironically, colder weather than it was in New York. What were the kind of key themes or takeaways that you have from the three days of the show? It struck me really that there's no new amazing technology or no new amazing solutions. What it was really about was things that have been around for a while kind of being refined, used in new ways. Um, So we saw some of the same technology that's been around before, whether it's electronic shelf edge labels, um, RFID for stock control. There was a little bit of robotics, but it's been used more in um in the picking space so in logistics and warehousing and then there was a little bit i think we've struggled to get robotics into customer service there's been various sort of bots and that sort of thing obviously using call centers but in in physical situations not so much um and there was a, a stand where they got a a hologram of a human that could talk to you but it, it all some of it felt quite gimmicky almost solutions and in need of a problem rather than something that was a really thought through this can really help you so it felt that to me that like there was a bit of a gap between what the technology can do and then as a real retailer or operator what you'd want it to do for you yeah certainly lots lots of handheld terminals on show printers trolleys with lcd screens uh, electronic shelf edge labels played a big part so as per previous podcast we've seen that start to become more prevalent in the UK, less cost prohibitive, more benefits that, that take into account. Uh, RFID, so again, lots of UK retailers, especially clothing, are already using that, but lots of different user applications there. I think you talked about pod systems, CRM systems. Yes, so there was a lot for online retailers that kind of solutions and particularly those that were looking at kind of making returns easier, which is a huge challenge if you're operating an online business. So some of it was about the returns processes. So and then also, I mean, one of the biggest stands there was Salesforce, which is kind of your customer relationship management, CRM, sales tracking, um, software and that sort of thing. And lots of stands had 
strap line slogans about fixing retail operations, which I thought was quite interesting, but that really boiled down to kind of some core products. So workforce management, task management, and then lots and lots of analytics or data companies showing their visualizations or tracking. I'm not sure they all fix retail operations. It probably overwhelms some of them with data. Um, highlights some areas clearly that may be going after, but in terms of fixing the operation, maybe some some bold claims. But nevertheless, it was one of the, the key themes that was there. And I'm sure you'll all make your own minds up as you start to use that technology or if you already have it in play. And as Sue mentioned, some massive stands, Salesforce being one of the biggest ones, uh, probably closely followed, if not equal, with Microsoft and Google. So that gives you an idea of some of the companies that aren't necessarily providing physical products, more services, you know, Google for email, analytics, all the, the bolt-ons that go with it. And then Microsoft, again, for all kind of the ancillary software that we all use, Office, PowerPoint, uh, Excel, but as well demonstrating some of their hardware, which I thought was quite interesting. But yeah, big, big stands, big, big investments. Um, it was a rumor that one stand had over 450 employees of that company on it. So you can see the scale that uh, some of these organizations go to to get people there to have a, a conversation. Yeah, there was also down at the sides, there was a, a corridors at either end of the big halls where the big companies had got meeting rooms booked. So obviously, I think it's a, it's a place that people get invited to go and seal the deal as well. So you can see it, it uh, works well for them to do that sort of thing too. So lot, lots to see, uh, lots to talk about in terms of while we were there. One of the things that we also did was um, with our friends at ITAB, we got invited on a store tour. So we'll kind of work through some of the outlets that we went to. Some I wasn't familiar with before we went, um, some really interesting, some as ever kind of innovation stores that we won't see come to fruition anywhere else. So we started off at Stu Leonard's. It was probably your favourite, Sue. So do you want to give us a rundown of what Stu Leonard's is? It was like a grocery store meets a Disney ride or something like that. So it was um, a very um, family-orientated grocery store where it kind of looked like you were down on the ranch. So all the fixtures and fittings were like wood planking. And then where every, for, for most departments, there was sort of animatronics. So there was singing chickens and there was a horse that would sing and it was designed so that kids could press the button but it it was a way of highlighting a a certain area so where the milk was there's a a cow hanging upside down and um, I think there was singing avocados in the in the green section it's one of those bits it's just really difficult to describe if you haven't seen it it was it kind of has to be seen to be believed and it was one of those experiences I should think it could be fun if you were in the right mood and irritating as hell if You'd heard the avocados singing for the millionth times. Yeah, fun to visit once. If I worked there every day, those avocados would be unplugged and uh, not singing. So look them up on the internet, Stu Leonard's, if you're ever around New Jersey. Certainly call in and pay a visit. We then headed round the corner to Trader Joe's, which are owned by Aldi. Yes, it's part of the Aldi group, yeah. Interesting concept. So kind of goes against everything that we're trying to do over here, really. So no shelf-ready packaging, handwritten labels, um, all the kind of fixtures, fittings made or fronted with uh, plywood and chipboard. So really kind of 
basic feel, lots of labour, lots of people in there, lots of manual process, but massively, massively busy. Admittedly, when we visited, it was kind of a bank holiday, but, you know, massively busy store, big throughput, many mantils, minimal self-checkout, lots of manual work, uh, certainly in the replan in the, the pricing arena. And certainly a popular store. I mean, the car park was packed, wasn't it? It was difficult to get in and then the, the store was busy too. Absolutely. We then took a trip to the New Whole Food Market down in the finance district, so by the famous bull statue, um, really elaborate kind of gothic building that they put it in. Lots of lots of uh, new tech, so palm readers for payment, which ironically we didn't see anybody sign up for or use. A really difficult building. So if you imagine walking into a food hall, then it goes downstairs, but almost into a kind of labyrinth maze of corridors and aisles off aisles. So interesting to see. Yeah, instantly your operational hat comes on and thinks about how tricky to fill up, how tricky to maintain a good level of security, shrink, all those things. So difficult to navigate. Um, great to see. Felt a bit like it was a a store that had been created around the building and the building probably in 9.9 times out of 10 wouldn't be a building you'd want to put a store in. I suspect, I mean, it was so tight. I bet there'd be places where you'd struggle to get a cage round, you know, from a replenishment point of view, it must be quite tricky. I think a couple of things really struck me about it. It had only been open three days, I think, when we went there. And it was really busy. It was like, and I don't know if that's a consequence of just the fact that it's in downtown New York and there's just lots of people there and obviously there's the brand recognition for it. But to have a new shop that went from zero to being packed is uh, incredible, really, to have, have that amount of stuff going through. And then the other thing was that I thought about the palm reader, it's perhaps an indication of the sorts of challenges there are with the other shop-and-go type technologies. So I think all of them have got a degree of, challenging that as you go in you've got to log in or whatever and I I don't know whether there's some resistance to it there's certainly been some slowing down of rolling out of that sort of technology and maybe palm reading at the end which is once you've registered your palm then in by shopping you just touch your palm to the reader and it knows it's you and charges you afterwards so it's um it's kind of a quicker way to pay so I thought it was interesting that you've seen that rather than more of the the sort of uh, just shop and go type technology going in. Yeah, and the other, the other thing which is interesting based on the how busy it was point was the price point. So I think it was about $10 for a small tub of melon and a few grapes, so not cheap at all. Admittedly, exchange rate's not great for us at the moment, but just on a dollar basis, um, not cheap, but clearly not putting people off because of the amount of footfall that was in there. But again, didn't see anybody signing up or using the palm reader. So is that a technology that needs more prompting from the store colleagues to get people to sign up, something we're not ready for, or just the fact that people were so busy that they didn't have the time to sign up. So we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think it's that challenge that in those, the convenience stores, which are grab and go, are the perfect place to use something that gets people out quicker. But if there's that hurdle to start with that it takes a long time to sign up, then it's kind of, it, it goes against it a bit. Next, we visited the new Google store. So down in Chelsea Market, uh, as you'd expect, one of those experiential stores, so lots of wacky booze and things to look at, you know, lots of product watches, uh, earpods, phones, all the Nest um, 
home security and heating things that they've got. So nice layout, um, some weird and wacky stuff. You can kind of step inside what looks like a, a tube train and try things out. Not not sure in terms of volume how much it's going to take. And again, not sure we'll probably see over here either one of those um, test stores. But uh, any thoughts on that one, Sue? I think it was interesting how how more beautiful their products are than they used to be. It looks like they're taking a leaf out of Apple Book. You know, they, they just looked much nicer objects than they ever used to. You know, even the phones and things look nice. Whereas they were used to be kind of, they weren't known for being as beautiful as I think I think it was now. And I thought it was an interesting concept with the store because you're right, there was like a room set so you could go and, sit in like a living room you could go on a train carriage so it was trying for them to show how their technology works in different situations for different customers so I thought it was an interesting store but as you say it's really a a showroom that isn't driving sales it's it's there to seek an experience it's a brand experience store rather than anything else but interesting to see and talking of showrooms we then walk down the road to the lucid car showroom so one of the new uh, EV electric vehicle manufacturers. So again, in, interesting concept, car, um, frame of car, bit of VR headset that you can put on. Don't tell you how much the car is. So that's a different conversation with somebody else not in the store. So it purely is a, a showroom. They're not particularly selling anything. A few bits of um, merchandise, so polo shirts, that kind of stuff. But really just trying to establish the brand couple of the cars outside but again no facility to go and test drive it's all about looking around a couple of colleagues in there answering questions telling you about all the kind of cool unique features but you come out kind of wondering how much they are which i then googled and i will be safe to say won't be driving a lucid car anywhere in the future i thought one of the things that struck me is as you're walking into it there's a big sign saying that they're not licensed to sell cars so they're kind of making clear right at the start you're there to have a look at it rather than to um, rather than to buy anything but it was interesting because they've got one without the body on it so you could see where the batteries were and how the shell works and all that sort of thing so it was uh, interesting and they look cool cars but like you say there was no price tag so yeah that's one for when I'm in the lottery uh, and then we ended up finally in the Starbucks uh, roastery. So again, Chelsea Market, just opposite the Lucid and, and Google stores. For those that haven't been, it's a kind of coffee shop uh, times 10. So you've got filter coffees, you've got the roastery, so you can see the beans being uh, crushed. There's a big shop, there's food, uh, there's a bar, cocktail bar upstairs, and then there's a bit around the side where you can have kind of speciality brew, coffee that almost you kind of make the mix we went the last time we were at nrf so 2018 and a lot more experiential then so people moving the bags of beans cutting the bags of beans going into the hopper so they they pulled back on a few bits but nevertheless if you're into coffee uh, if you like amazing looking stores then certainly want to visit yeah it's an impressive impressive thing and if you're a coffee lover then it must be yeah it'd be absolutely wonderful then final thing to finish on, just to wrap up this episode of Reflections, the big thing just generally being in New York and in and out of shops, so CVS, Dwayne Reed, all the, all of the usual ones was the volume of defensive merchandising that was in play. So ranging from sweets through to lots of washing up liquid, even things like underarm deodorants, now all behind Perspex um, 
cases with either buttons to call associates so it pings their headset or you need to go and find someone to unlock. So we're starting to see that over here. I know we've, again, we've talked about it on previous episodes of uh, empty cases for alcohol and things going behind cupboards, but a lot, lot more than I was expecting um, when we travelled out was on view. Don't know how that's in kind of damaging sales or if, if it's reducing shrink to the point that it, it's a break even, but it feels like they were moving certainly to, if there's a shrink problem, the answer is to stick it behind some perspex locked doors. Be interesting to see how that unfolds and how far it goes before it then kind of really does damage sales and comes back. It was interesting. There was one, I think it was a target where we walked in and almost the whole wall was just, it's not a, a one big door, is it? They do it shelf at a time mm-hmm. um, that's that's behind the screens. But incredible to see that. And it, it must not only, obviously, it extends your time to sell it. It must reduce kind of at times if you can't find somebody, I'm sure you'll buy it. But it must also make all your operation more difficult, you know, filling up and be difficult because you've got to open the case every time. And if the door's getting in your way and all yeah, interesting. It makes you think there must be some really severe loss problems to want to take that approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the irony was there were still gaps behind most of those perspex screens. I've posted some photos on LinkedIn. So if you check out the Rethink Productivity page or my page, you'll see some of the, the photos there and some of the call buttons. But um, yeah, that, that was quite a surprise, quite a surprise. So on that note, we'll wrap up this episode. Thanks for your insights into NRF, Sue, and we'll be back with future episodes soon.